Welcome to the Cyber Nation Uncensored Podcast. We welcome all Chumbas, Edge Runners, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, Spice Traders, and Space Folders. Thanks for joining us. Please give us a great review and also be sure to join us on both YouTube and Twitch. We'd love to see you on a live stream. Thanks again. See you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. People can hear us. So I am Cyber Smiling with another episode of The Forlorn Dopes with my co host. Greetings, programs. I am Wisdom and I am here to talk about some cyberpunk. Yep. Um, again, uh, if. Okay, great. We sound good in the stream, which is. I was able to figure out what was going on with OBS. Awesome. Yeah, that that's very uh, encouraging. And for future listeners who, who join us on Twitch, please let us uh, know if either me or him are not coming in loud and clear. Uh, I will do my best to fix whatever needs to be fixed. Um, so, now, yeah. With the, way, with the way Twitch works, it kind of has to be done sometimes on the fly like that. Yeah. So, uh, let's start off with our normal round of what's new with Cyberpunk uh, in the coming months, or what just happened. Um, so, well, Florian if... just uh, just dropped some previews of their Tales of Night City uh, book coming out, yep. which is supposed to be nine fully formed, fleshed out adventures. Uh, they dropped some of the art for it, and, you know, the art looks pretty good. And I can't wait until, uh, August? I think they said when, um, yeah. Gen Con hits. I really need to get out to there again. Um, it's been... I've, I've never been. It's, it's, well, I went... I, I want to say I went back in 2003, 2004. Um... It's an experience <laughs> to see that many people, that many gamers <laughs> in one location. Um, 
but yeah, so you can definitely look forward to that. Um, ooh, Rob says he's going to be uh, heading out to uh, Gen Con with his wife, Val. Awesome, man. That would be awesome. I, I would love to go. Uh, sadly, um, that is not in the picture, but I've always wanted to see it just to meet the people. Yeah, so um, for those who are listening and not seeing the street or the, the chat we have, um, so Rob Mulligan and his lovely wife Val uh, from Cybernation Uncensored, uh, they're going to be. They are uh, our hosts. They are going to be at the Sirenscapes booth, uh, booth 1740 at Gen Con, if you do attend. So I would definitely tell everyone to go and check him out um, in the Sirenscape booth, because if those who do not know, uh, Sirenscape has a Twitch channel. Rob is running a awesome Cyberpunk Red uh, campaign with some great, great people on it. Um, and I've been following them, and it's definitely a, a must-see if you like uh, live play. <clears throat> you know, Sirenscape is really, really cool. I've been following them for about a decade now, I think. Uh, and just the idea of what they're trying to do, you know, let, letting you add sound effects and uh, background music and all that tailored to whatever you're doing on the fly is it's always seemed like a really cool concept. I've never been able to afford it. I had a free trial for it once and I used it to great effect. Um, it's, it's very cool. So yeah, I'm glad to see, uh, the collaboration between Artal Saurian and cyber nation uncensored and Sirenscape. Yeah. I've, I've tried to do mute music and, and sound effects within some of my games. Um, and granted, I haven't tried it with my new party, but oftentimes they, they well, my previous parties usually uh, didn't appreciate it. Um, they said it was too distracting. <laughs> I even got into, like, the mood, uh, mood lighting and, and stuff like you had on uh, in your uh, little uh, den. Um, but my players never oh, really got God, into I miss it. Oh, my game room. Someday, yeah, man. Uh, it, can, it can be distracting. Uh, I've talked about that at length. It really has to be like a trial and error situation. Yep. Uh, where you find out what works right for your group, for your for the acoustics in the room. Because you never want it to drown out what's going on. You right. uh, just want it to be part of the gaming experience. Enhance. Um, yeah. It, it worked out well for me, for a, but I was only able to use it for a short time. Yep. Um, the other thing from Altarzorian, well, there's two other notices. One is uh, the announcement that Jay Gray uh, is now the product line manager for Cyberpunk Red, which that is a promotion for him. So congrats on yeah. that. And uh, James Hunt is now the lead designer or product designer for Cyberpunk Red as well. So both of them, uh, kudos. Yeah. James Congratulations, fellow senior designer. Yeah. So, awesome. Um, the other thing that came out of Artasaurian is uh, the a, a DLC for some new cyberware. Um, well, I mean, they put out an actual like for free RPG day. They put a 
there was an actual like product that they put out. You yeah, could actually that... like get your hands on it. I, unfortunately, I was not able to get to the store uh, and get a copy. So if anybody's got an extra copy, I'll buy it from you. What was it? The the Quick Start. Um... Uh, yeah, it was like uh, the Quick Start rules. Yeah, like a light version, like of... an even even more simplified version of of Red, like even more simplified than what came in the starter pack, I guess. The yeah, I think well, there's there's some rules that have changed since the uh, Jumpstart kit uh, compared to yeah. full blown Red, but yeah, and again, I, I really think Red can really be boiled down very quickly uh, to a very simplistic rule set of hey, stat plus skill plus a D10 versus a, a, a difficulty number. Um, yeah, I mean, once you've got a basic understanding of how the rules work, you can run that shit just on the fly anywhere, anyway. Yep. Uh, it's 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 been like that since 2013. I mean, it's everything boils down to D10 plus a the number on your sheet plus your that's it. There you go. Right. Um, if you've got character sheets, you can play. And the character sheets don't even have to be as as complicated as we make them. We make them complicated to cover everything, but really, you just write down a couple of key skills and some stats, and you're you're good to go. So, yeah, you can simplify uh, you can simplify red and interlock quite a bit. Yep. Uh, just as a starter, or just as a you know run on the fly. Hell, I ran. I don't know if I, I think I've talked about this before. I ran, I went to Colorado with a friend one year from here in Arkansas. And the entire time there and back, I was just running a cyberpunk game. I had to take over driving because he kept trying to throw dice while he was driving. And that got dangerous fast. I was like, no, no, I'm going to drive. You, you just sit here. Yeah, I've done that where uh, the GM was like, yeah, I'll run a game. And it was like a long haul. There used to be this uh, awesome game store that was like over an hour from my house. So uh, once every month or two, a bunch of us would just cram into a car and drive down there. And one day the driver was like, yeah, I'll run a game. And hey, you know, and he basically ran a game in his car as he was driving, rolling dice on the highway, speeding oh, along. Yeah. Beast Good times. Uh, in addition to like making a monthly tour of all the comic book and gaming stores in my area when I lived in Kansas City, uh, I also worked at Friendly Frank's uh, Distribution. One of my jobs there was to deliver comics first out to Des Moines, Iowa, and then like after that, it was all over Kansas. And so I got to go to all these crazy rural game shops. And man, the I don't remember the names of any of them but there was the one i delivered to in des moines was just amazing yeah yeah there's there uh, i mean there was a so when the a crash happened with the the gaming scene uh you really couldn't find too many games but lately uh i've been finding pretty pretty nice stores uh popping up because um, i think most of yeah. their the income now is from you know renting out tables which hey it's I see it as a very legit compared to the old days in which, you know, you used to be able to get a table for free. It was, they just sold the product, but, um, but now, I mean, if it are... keeps, if it, good. 
keeps the brick and mortar stores open by all means. Uh, do whatever you need to. I don't think they're getting uh, they're not getting ridiculous with the prices. Like I don't do it. Just I, I did it for a while. There was a gaming store here in town that we used to game at, but it kept getting taken over by like obnoxious magic players. Yeah. And, or you know Nazi uh, Warhammer players, <laughs> so we just we moved out into the mall, uh, into the mall proper at one of just the the tables in the mall, and from there on we had great gaming fun. And the one thing I have to say about this new generation of game stores, a hell of a lot cleaner than the game stores that yeah. I used to go to. They're they're not the the dens of troglodytes that they used to be like dirty dark, and don't get me wrong, some of the best gaming stores I've ever been to in my life were dirty and dark and it just it, it kind of felt like finding a cave of wonders. But having nice, clean, inviting, friendly places uh, that's definitely a bonus for the hobby. Plus, yes. I think in addition to the magic games. Like, a lot of the focus has switched to board games, which is only a good thing. Yep. Gaming is gaming. Yep. So, moving along, um, the other thing is a, a DLC that uh, Artas Arian dropped, which was a supplement of Cyberware. Uh, there's quite a few from previous versions, uh, like the Cyber Pillow that they introduced, uh, Kill Display... <laughs> Neon turn on or yeah. leads turn on show off nails. I can't believe they, they yeah, it's that. just the pure aesthetic stuff. Like, th that's my favorite cyberware, like that, that kind of stuff because it just adds style. It's not there to give you a bonus to anything, it's not there to give you an advantage. It's just there to ha let your character have a little bit more style and, and uniqueness. Uh, I imagine they're saving like the good stuff for the Chromebook whenever it's going to come out, but. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Uh, it's it's nice to get a teaser of the of the tasty just flavor stuff. Yeah, and I I want to say great minds think alike because they have the hollow projector palm, which uh, actually had so on, cool. on my site. I have the hollow hand, which I put out back in uh, nineteen ninety nine. I don't know if I inspired. Well, hey, you're moving on up. I yeah. I mean. I'll take it. I, if I were you, I'd brag to the high heavens about that. Well, hey, something I did. I don't know if James Hunt saw that or uh, just came up with it on a whim and saw it as a missing component within the game, which I felt at the time back in twenty twenty for the twenty twenty version uh, definitely should have been around. So, so that's our Tarsarian. Um, the other big news is we have. About a little over an hour and a half left on the, uh, was it Come On, Siam, Cool Minis or Not, uh, Kickstarter for the Cyberpunk 2077 Gangs of Night City board game. Um, if you haven't it heard of this cool. Kickstarter, uh, well, if you're, if you're listening to us right now, hey, go check it out, Kickstarter. Type in Cyberpunk 2077. Um, there, there's various pledge levels. I think the the lowest is ten dollars to at least get into the pledge manager. Which means, if you put in ten dollars, uh, you get to the pledge manager, manager, and then you decide, hey, this is I want to go with the full 
the full Nelson and get as much as I can or pick and choose as you need. Um, the other levels are the standard level, which I think is a hundred some odd dollars, um, which gets you the basic book and all the add-ons. And then there's legendary, which gets you the, the, the basic game plus all the extensions and all these other fun things. Um, from, from my point of view, uh, it's well worth the money, um, just for the minis alone, especially if you are the tabletop. Uh, player um, specifically because the minis are like 32 millimeters so they they're on par I think with totally um, compatible. yeah and I think they're on par with um, uh, monster fight clubs you know, honestly, I, I wish zone. I could afford it just just for the miniatures um, yeah, yeah. Uh, they they all look good and you know cyberpunk miniatures are hard to find especially at an affordable rate like that I mean, granted, the buy-in is, is pretty steep, but the, the value per miniature is roughly around 2 to $3 a mini. And uh, I, if you guys ever... If you do not have a, uh, a uh, 3D printer, um, even, well, with a 3D printer, you get the S STL files. Uh, but if you... Uh, it's still a bar. Yeah, it's still 2 two to $3 is unheard of. Uh, when it comes to mini, because I think um, I just posted a link in in the chat f for those who are who are here and listening to us right now. Um, but I think um, Monster Fight Clubs minis are like three for like thirty bucks, somewhere around there. That I know they're at least eight dollars a piece. So yeah, they're <laughs> super expensive, and, and the quality looks pretty good. Um, from what I've seen, so, and and again, I, I kind of uh, looked at the the game mechanics, barely understanding the the actual uh, board game. I was more into the minis, um, but yeah, it looks like an interesting game. Uh, a lot of add-ons to it, um, but if you, if you can afford it, kudos. If you can't, uh, apologize. You got the uh, what was uh, it? the FOMO happening. Just uh, just today, like a little bit before we started the podcast, I got an update from uh, Monster Fight Club on the uh, the uh, Combat Zone game. Um, looks like the the miniatures for it have been uh, manufactured. Uh, the core game is being printed and manufactured in China, um, so it's it's moving along. Uh, hopefully, so now we just hopefully we up. see that before too long. <laughs> so now we have to just wait for shipping. So eh, you figure you probably yeah, they're estimating Gen Con. I'm figuring that they're probably going to ship these uh, around Thanksgiving. That's my. My conservative estimate. Um, yeah, that was the uh, the last big money purchase I was able to make before everything went to to shit on my end. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to finally getting my hands on this. Yep. Um, 
And I know Cyber Nations Kickstarter. Uh, you guys are, if Rob is still listening, um, you guys are getting close to uh, shipping. Uh, last pl- uh, last update I saw. Yeah, man, so, that stuff looks so cool. Yeah, with all again, the something I very much wish I could have afforded, but it's it's badass looking. Yeah, so I love the dice boxes <laughs> with the plexiglass, and yeah, I think that's going to look awesome. I mean, and, and the dice case. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing with the ammo. Yeah, and the dice tower with the removable uh, placards. Yeah, when I was... um, I'm a sucker for all that kind of stuff. And, uh, again, I feel bad for for telling you this, but uh, when I was gaming with uh, Mike uh, at TotalCon, he had these dice, which were basically six-siders that were made into bullets. Ooh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, so they... They look like kind of bullets, and you That's just roll totally them. That's totally Mike, too. And they have all the pips, and you just roll them and give you the numbers. And I think they're going to look awesome in the uh, ammo case dice set. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty freaking awesome, let me tell you. Oh, 90, 90% shipped out. So oh, very cool. Hopefully I'll be getting mine soon. I have- yeah, I have not seen those picks anywhere. I'm I'm gonna have to keep my eyes open. Um, thanks, Rob. Uh, so moving along, uh, on a, or yeah, on a uh, non-official status, uh, there's a new Love, Sex, and Robots out. It's it's pretty good. Um, I'm only three episodes in. Uh, I believe you've watched the whole thing already, Will? Yes. Yes. So I am late to the party as always. <laughs> yeah. Um so one of the ones where you saw was the crab, which yeah, I agree. It I don't I mean, I think it's cuz it's it's animation that it kind of slipped in, but I really don't yeah. see I mean, what it, it has this, to do yeah. with love or sex and and robots. Um yeah, I mean, it's the first episode was great. I loved seeing the return of the three robots. Uh, they were one of my favorite segments from the first season. Um, it's a, it's a bit. It, this one's a bit dark. Um, all the ones we've watched so far have been really dark. Um, the crab one again. It like you said, it doesn't. There's no love. There's no sex, and there's no robots. <laughs> so I'm not sure why it's there. It's it's cool. But it's, I mean, at least there's plenty of violence. Yep. Uh, the one with the astronaut on on Mars or wherever they're supposed to be, Jupiter. They're on Jupiter, Io. Yeah, one of them. Jupiter moves. Um, it's really pretty. It's really gorgeous. Uh, but again, I'm not sure why it's there. Yeah. Um, kind of sci-fi. I I, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, on the yeah alien life getting into it, but you still got. I think I'm trying to think how many more episodes before you get to the cyber bear. But that episode is very good. Well, uh, yeah, we'll probably finish it up tonight. 
Um, yeah. If not tonight, then by tomorrow we'll have seen them all. So next week I can talk more in depth. I did finally finish Ghost in the Shell. Uh, so we can talk you about were it. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the last two episodes are just pure what the fuck territory. Um, I've got to say overall, I did not enjoy Standalone Complex 2045. The first season was tolerable, but the second season... I maintain that Purin is the most obnoxious character I've ever seen. Because she just completely does not belong in Ghost in the Shell. Like, she is the worst cliche of the naive, uh, super cute, super innocent schoolgirl... Like, she would belong in Project Aiko and get along just fine there. Or, you know, mm. even something like Martian successor Nadesco. But in Ghost in the Shell, she just sticks out like a, thor th a sore thumb that needs to get hammered a couple more times. Yeah. Um, none of the characters really act like... Uh, they, none of them act in character, like from what we've experienced from any of the previous thing. Especially since this is supposed to... Like, be the direct sequel to Standalone Complex and Second Gig and Solid State Society. It just doesn't work. Like, it doesn't... They don't fit. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. Uh, and 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 the storylines are just... Yeah. The, the ending was just, like you said, like, what the fuck? Um, sorry, but we're about to talk about spoilers. Um, it just... The ending was just very confusing about what I mean. The, I I kind of see where they were going to, of like not understanding what reality is and how you how in a future society reality can change very by perception or or by technology. But the, their I mean, approach it, it, was just ugh. One, it, 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 one, all that shit has been done already. I mean, you're not going to out-matrix the Matrix. And that's what it really feels like they're trying to do. Uh, like, they're trying to tell the beginning story of the Matrix, and it just... It comes off as silly. Uh, too much. The antagonist, like, I, I like the female cyborg antagonist, but the dude is just... Yeah, he's not intimidating. He's just kind of this emo. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I get. He probably fits like in any other context. He would be just fine in twenty forty five. But on top of everything else that was annoying me about it, it just was one more, one more straw on the camel's back. The Togusa story went nowhere and was pointless. Yep. Uh the the connection between Bauto and Purin again goes nowhere and is pointless. Yep. Uh, and Kusanagi like doesn't do anything. Like doesn't do anything. I mean, she shows up. She's cool for a second, and but that there there for, for me there was it, overall it was it really was bad, but. There was some little nuggets of goodness, especially from a cyberpunk sure. point of view, where you had, you know, the double cross, and again, um, you know, the whole series about the American Empire, which, yeah, I can see why the Japanese think that way. Um, Absolutely. I mean, there were, there were high the points to it. Backstabbing that, that you know, the Americans kind of did, 
Um, I, I love the, I w- I'm going to call Dragoons that they had, uh, which I think was yeah, you know, the those third to last. Yeah. Um, that was pretty good when they were doing the assault. Uh, and, yeah, and I mean the action scenes when when there when there were action scenes, they were top notch. Like, I'm not a big fan of the of the CGI turn that all animation seems to be taking, but it was done well. Yeah. So, overall, I'll give it a a C plus, <laughs> just because the story was that kind of bad at the end. That was. And for those who might be a little young to not understand this reference, but I was expecting uh, Bobby Ewing, Ewing to come out of the shower <laughs> and say, "Oh, it's all a dream. This whole this whole past season was just all a dream." Um, yeah, it, it it would have been better. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Spriggan again that came out uh the the action scenes and some of the the elements and genre of it was very cyberpunkish except for the supernatural stuff i mean it's like a cure in that way like where everything that goes on in the background is totally cyberpunk even if the story that they're telling is not uh like the yeah it's i highly recommend spriggan um, the second episode is a retelling of the movie. Uh, the movie, of course, was a much better version of the story, but it was nice to see them revisit it. Yep. Uh, overall, the series covers pretty much the entirety of the manga. Uh, not to spoil anything about it, but it does, the end does leave off for a season two to happen. I'm not sure where they would go with a second season. Um, but I'd be very interested in watching it happen. Yep. Um, the other thing that's out, if you have HBO and HBO Max, uh, Westworld, new season, the fourth season just came out. Um, it's only two episodes in. I'm not going to talk about those until uh, the rest of the uh, season is is over. But um, definitely story play out. Yeah, I, I did watch the previous season. I binged the previous season another week, um, and, and compared to the first and second season, the third season is very cyberpunkish. Um, the one thing I love is is the uh, app they have on their phones to commit crimes. Um, mm-hmm. in which, you know, you say, hey, yeah, I'll do this job. I don't do personals. I just do theft, you know, and cater to that, and you just get money. Um, but, yeah, that, that season was really cyberpunkish. Um, and it also gets into the ideas of, if you're looking for a campaign, of how how AIs evolve and how two AIs can evolve differently. Even one AI who, who splits their personality. And again, if you haven't seen season three, go check it out. Here's some more spoilers. Um, so like Dolores splits her herself into multiple uh, 
basically makes copies of herself and each one one of them decides okay uh i'm going to <laughs> what you thought i was going to behave i'm going to behave something completely different because i have a mix of these other emotions and, and, and this other personality integrated into my own which caused a conflict so the the battling of the various ais and their ultimate plans of i don't know if you call it world domination but um is very interesting and very cyberpunky so to me westworld season three is a must-see when it comes to cyberpunk I'd, i'd have to concur with everything you just said uh I think the last thing we talk we want to talk about before we move into the meat of the situation is uh, the new cyberpunk comic series is out. Um, Blackout. Blackout, which this is at, at, at this point in it, two issues are out. So far, it is it is my favorite of the comics in the cyberpunk 2077 look. It's, it's about a brain dance editor. Um, which is an interesting take. Uh, I'm very excited to see where this goes. Agreed. Um, yeah, it's it's a low level guy who who lives with a solo, um, and he's a retired solo. Yeah. Like she's out of the game. She just wants to get back into it. Um, um, he programs and, and repairs brain dance units. Uh, but he wants to be more. He actually wants to use brain dance as therapy for people. It's it. I really am dying to see where this, where this book goes. Like I yes. said, so far, this is my favorite of the comics. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I really like you have my word. I want to see the fourth installment of that. I'm really digging that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you have my word is is awesome, and it's got some of the best covers out there. Uh, but man, what is it like? Five months late on the on the yeah. fourth issue now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, uh, I'm starting to worry if we're ever going to see yeah. it. Well, that's how Cyberpunk 2077 was, right? And, and Cyberpunk Red. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cyberpunk I mean, Black. There's a lot of parallel there. Or Chrome Black. They, so. yeah, they'll finish it when they finish it. Exactly. All right, so let's move on. So tonight's uh, subject um, being the uh, first show of the month, so it's kind of an ad hoc type of topic. Um, this month we are actually going to be getting into how uh, my friend Wisdom here uh, creates scenarios and campaigns, etc. Um, so yeah. I'll start heading off to you. I might be sharing my screen uh, specifically to show off his site and, and some of his uh, ideas and how he does, how he creates a campaign. Uh, yeah, we uh, we we covered the way you do it a, a few episodes ago. So I, it's my turn now to sit in the sit in the interrogation chair, I guess. Um, traditionally, I, I would just run off the cuff, like the first, like 
15 years of me running a game, there was very little preparation for anything. I would, like, all the source books are written after the campaigns were done. Uh, I'm trying to do it the other way around now. And, you know, put more preparation into the games. Maybe I'm overdoing it a little bit, but uh, it, it's it's the experiment I'm running now, especially with online. So what I like to do at this point is before I start the campaign, I talk to my players. I get some kind of... I'll have an, an idea for a campaign, like a, a theme. Um, or just a basic storyline, like... Uh, the last campaign before my present one, as I've spoken about, was uh, Glass Road, where I'm trying to flesh out the Middle East and the irradiated ruins of that by having the group go and explore that actively. And uh, now I'm doing Dust and Sorrow, which is the name of my current campaign, where the players are uh, nomads who basically run escort and security for... The Vagabond Express, which is a bus that just travels through the basic nomad markets. So those are the basic ideas of my more current campaigns. And before the campaign gets started proper, I have the characters make up their character sheets, uh, get them situated uh, in a point where they can work with each other, as well as work within the confines of the game. And then I... Uh, then I create a source book, like a like a guidebook for the characters. Um, I wouldn't do this in a in a more loosely structured campaign, but because both of these campaigns have uh, have such a tight structure, um, it makes a lot of sense for me to you know put out or like write these like miniature source books for them, so they know the people they're traveling with, uh, they know the vehicles they've got the resources that are at their disposal with with the glass road campaign uh it was a little bit easier because everybody had the same gear pretty much uh some of them had some specialty gear based on their roles like the netrunner obviously had cyber decks and techies had toolkits and whatnot and solos were a little bit better armed but like the they were all traveling in one giant vehicle that's like a super giant RV uh like damnation alley like dan like a cross between damnation alley and a jawa sand crawler yeah <laughs> okay the, in fact the campaign was very heavily influenced by damnation alley i love that movie i love that vehicle um there was a there was a, another show in the 70s uh, Arc, Arc 2. Uh, that played a big influence on it, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I detail, you know, what the, the equipment that they had access to with uh, Glass Road because it mattered. It's not like they can go to the store in the middle of the uh, wasteland, uh, the irradiated ruins of the Middle East, and, you know, pick up a new gun or a new tool or even new clothing. Hell, water was everything was marked down with the nomad campaign. It's a little bit looser because they are just traveling across America. Um, but still what they carry on them is what they've got. It's not like they have a home they can go to. It's not like there's any, 
uh, place to store anything other than what's on their vehicles. So I create these source books, and uh, you're showing it now. Yep. Um, I fill it up. I fill up the uh, the bus and the convoy, the larger convoy they're traveling with, with uh, NPCs. Um, one, so they have an idea of who they're traveling with, and two, so I can keep it straight in my head. Uh, this is really a lot of preparation. Uh, it would seem for a campaign, um, but it's important to note what you know, what things look like, what, who's where, and what who's doing what, and what they have on them. Uh, so this is what I do before the campaign starts, um, and of course I map out the route itself so they you know they know where roughly where they're going from in between, in between stops. Um, and that's where most of the preparation takes place before the game. Once the game starts, it becomes a much looser, uh, I, I kind of fall back, not all the way, but a lot of the way I fall back into that, you know, off the cuff running where, you know, I'll have in my head, a certain series of events uh, that are going to happen regardless. Um, but the players have, you know, other than where the destination they're going to is and the timeline they've got to get there, they, they've got their own free reign on, you know, what's going on around them. Uh, um, one question, like, because I'm going through your, your, your stats and, and, you know, the characters I can understand are, are customized, um, it seems like you're using uh, the basic stats. And then uh, the one thing that really drew me to a lot of your stuff is just the imagery you use um, and how you, you, you play with that and, and add that to your campaigns. Um, the other question I have is, did you modify every single like bike <laughs> to be different? <laughs> or did you take a basic model and, and just apply it? Yeah, uh, you're talking about the stats for the bikes and yeah. whatnot. I mean, basically, I just here's a dirty little secret about every fucking piece of tech that appears on my site is uh, I make it up as I go along. I look at it, I decide, well, this looks like you know it would have this. Um, maybe it's maybe it's really agile, not so fast, or not as. Uh, doesn't carry any equipment really, but it, it it's a zoomer. Um, so yeah, I, I I have basis for each of the vehicles, um, and then I just go from there. Uh, I've been called out a couple of times on the weights of things and some of the speeds of things, and I'm just all like, you know, when you're doing two hundred vehicles at a time, it just uh, you stop paying attention, especially when it gets to like, you know, four thirty in the morning, and you're just your eyes no longer function. I should probably fix it in editing, but I've done all this stuff for free, so you get what you get. Uh, when it comes to this source book, yeah, I just kind of went off of what I had elsewhere uh, that was similar, and then tweaked it to match what I felt would be in line with what was happening right 
Um, it, as far as the images go, I mean, I, I farm images. Uh, I have just a backlog of, of hundreds and hundreds of images, thousands and thousands of images. And uh, in a situation like this, like I said, it's it's important to know what people are carrying, what, what guns they're using. Because you never know when an NPC might bite the bullet and you suddenly have to scrounge his corpse and, like, this is what you find on it. Yeah. It saves me time later of having to, like, search for, like, oh, well, he's a nomad, so everything they've got is unique. And just to, because I'm currently in in uh, Wisdom's campaign of of Dustin's sorrows, um, just keep in mind that these documents that he creates are continuing to to grow, right? So, if you think of it as yeah. as like a writer's bible, um, and when I say a writer's bible, usually a writer when they're writing a story will have another document to capture all the characters, who those characters are, what are their motivations, you know, um, and other details and kind of a lexicon of elements within their story so they can keep it straight. So if they decide, Hey, I'm going to reference the cousin of the main character who I mentioned back in chapter two, while I'm in chapter 30th, you would go to the Bible to say, oh, his cousin is this, right? Um, so the, to yeah, me, that's, exactly that's what this what reminds me of. That's exactly what this document is supposed to be. Uh, eventually, the goal is I'm going to turn this into a campaign that I'll post on my site, like a fully-fledged like source book adventure all-in-one. Um and every ep- every every session we game, more stuff gets added to it. Uh, of course, we reference other things on the site and in the books and and whatnot. Like every time they enter a new state, I, I read from both my site what I've written about that, as well as from Home of the Brave, just to let everybody know what's happening, what's going on. Right. Um, and the document that he was just showing was that player bible that gets added to i've got my own copy that's separate uh and that's what something that would turn into like autumn blade on your site yeah autumn blade or dust in the wind uh like i said earlier like it used to be like all the gear on autumn blade was just stuff that i did in the meantime in between sessions it's just all gear but the books like you know conflict the african source book or uh dust in the wind nomad market uh the uh, ncpd source book that i wrote uh just they were all written after the campaigns now i'm trying to write it during the campaigns i'm trying to flesh it out as much as possible uh which is you know bonus on two levels one it means it's all there for the campaign. But I don't have to do as much work in that regard. And two, hopefully it'll make an interesting project at the end. Um, I forgot about your site. It's not safe for work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I'm not. Yeah, there's a lot of it that's not safe for work. Meh. Uh, I don't think there are too many children playing Cyberpunk 2020. I mean, obviously, the number has grown now with the 2077 video game, but even still, 
most of the kids playing it are into red, not yeah, not the you know thirty year old game. Um, really, uh, the focus now uh, on this campaign is interpersonal relationships and just the exploration of America proper. Uh, and that's where I try and focus this 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 campaign. Um, sometimes I, I have better days. Sometimes I have really good days running it. Uh, as far as you know, keeping the NPCs interesting and the players wanting to interact with them. And sometimes I'm just off, and uh, that kind of falls to the wayside. That's going to happen with any campaign, really. Um, you know, you've got good days and bad days. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, especially with the, the campaign I'm still running. Uh, right now was I kind of got into a lull of like I don't know where I'm going with this campaign. I don't know what I want to do with this campaign. Um, and you're gonna get that right. Is I just you just don't know where to go to. Um, so I kind of have instructed my players, hey, if one of you guys can run some <clears throat> some one-shots, right, or, or just a quick fun-to-do campaign for, for a couple weeks so I can get my creative juices back, right? Um, yeah, recharge the batteries. Exactly. Because that's one thing uh, that I find is uh, when I start actually playing, that's when my ideas come to me. Um, yeah. Just playing off the ideas that other people are generating. And you get that too? I do. Um, I think that's why a lot of the, like, I didn't start preparing until about, you know, 10, 12 years ago, which coincidentally was when people started running me on Cyberpunk. Um, before that, I was just pure GM for, for, well, between 1990 and 2007, uh, it was just me, it was just me running. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's some good advice to uh, those players that are out there. Uh, Give your GMs a break. Run the game, um, even if it's a one-shot. Because um, it, it helps yeah. the GM, A, they might have had an idea that really wasn't going anywhere, um, and just that off time, or having a perspective of something new coming in oftentimes will just trigger their creativity uh, and engage themselves again. Because now they're not thinking about, oh, what do I have to do to provide to the players? Now I think about, oh, what is this character? Who is this character that I'm running? What's his motivation or her motivation? And really get into character creation, which often will spark, oh, yeah, this NPC that I kind of had kicking in the background. 
this one idea yes. I had for my for my character is now I I can put it to that NPC and, and use that yeah. as a gimmick. I mean, every GM you've ever played with has a thousand characters in his head that he would like to see fleshed out, but you, there's only so much fleshing you can do with an NPC uh, because you don't ever want to take the focus off the PCs. Yep. So when you finally get, as a GM, when you finally get to be a PC, man, is it liberating. You finally get to flesh out and play with some of these ideas that you can then springboard into other NPCs <laughs> in your game and other scenarios. Plus, there's the added bonus of... I've, I've said this before, and it's 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 been my philosophy from the beginning. GMs run the games that they wish they could play in. Uh, so every time you're you're in a in a game being run by somebody, you're experiencing what they would want to play in if if they weren't if if they had their druthers. So when you run, you get to show the GM the kind of game you want to play. Uh, which is something he's going to, if he's any good, if he's observant at all, he's going to take note of that and use that to create a better game experience when he runs again for you. Because he'll have a taste of, you know, well, these are the story, uh, these are the story ticks that, that get him going. These are the, the kind of NPCs that he likes. These are the kind of scenarios that, you know, he finds interesting. I can incorporate that into what I find interesting and make it a better experience for everybody involved. So that that's important. Right. Um, there are many good reasons to give your your GM a break from running and let him play. One critique, you, you need to... <laughs> when you're going back to your site and, and you're doing any cleanup or or decide to do any redesign... This African timeline, oh my god, the colors you chose. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're awful. <laughs> I, I know. It's awful. I was just trying to keep each page looking different. And, you know, sometimes that's an experiment that fails. In that case, it is. Uh, if I ever go back, I'll probably just turn it black and white. Um, or, yeah, I mean... I want to say I did that in like I don't know I, I, early two thousands. Yeah, and some of these colors are are fine. Just that one one with the timeline for uh, Africa. Yeah, every now and then you'll come across a page on my site that it just it, it hurts your eyes, and I apologize for that. Like I said, I, I was never educated on how to do this. I did it all on Netscape uh, Composer. Um. Which is even, yeah. I, I mean that was days. my tool. I, I still have C Monkey loaded them on, onto my computer in case I want to like fall back on that. So I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to program in HTML. Sue me. I was doing all this <laughs> absolutely for free uh, when I was in high school. They didn't have computer classes and. Yeah, no, I, it's all just what I could figure out at the time. I think you did a, a great job, too. Um, the formatting on the images is super messed up. I've Eventually, I'm going to go back and fix that. That's one of the reasons I did the PDFs for everything, is because then I could fix the format of the images. Right. Um, 
I probably could use less images in my stuff, but damn it, the images I find are cool and I want to see them used for something as opposed to just sitting in my folder going to waste. Uh, right. I'm kind of, yeah. Uh, as far as, back to back to actually like crafting campaigns though, um, that sets up the, I, I, so where we're at, where we were looking at the site and whatnot, that sets up the overall campaign of the story. And then we move into like scenarios, like weekly, weekly, weekly games. Mm -hmm. Um, This is where things get tricky for me because anytime I try and plot something, uh, the players are going to just go the other way. Doesn't matter what I do, the players always go the other way. I can plan for this event. I can like try and shoehorn events to lead them all in this way, but they'll find a way around it. Uh, so what I try to do is I try to have a couple of interesting NPCs and a couple of intre- interesting events that are going to happen regardless that can happen anywhere or that happen in a place that there is no there's no escaping. Like, they're going to go to the Nomad Market. That's the next stop on the route. So I'll have some things waiting there for them and they'll typically be just amusing things that happen. Uh... Every time I try to like plan a combat, you guys do everything you can to avoid it, which is commendable. But that also means that anytime I've like put any effort into, you know, creating a battle map and like this is gonna happen, this scenario is waiting for you. Uh, and then you guys sneak through like the back door. Well, like, like take a smuggler's route through the thing and avoid them, avoid the main checkpoint that you were heading straight forward to the last session. Right, and then for me, you know, from either playing cyberpunk as well as running cyberpunk, really combat. Even though there's a lot of rules around combat, um, just reading through those rules, you just know how deadly you can make make a combat. Oh yeah, scene. no, it's. So it's it's I mean you've seen my combats they're brutal like yeah yeah and, and that's why as a player I want to avoid them is thing I'm complaining about um but if there's going to be a large combat if there's even a possibility of that I'm trying to plan it so you don't have to like wait for me to throw down battle maps and all this and create them on the fly uh but so far that has been a a failed experiment as Almost every time you guys have managed to avoid it. Kudos to you. Like you find a way to uh, safely navigate through America. Um, last session, I had a giant. I had a. I had a checkpoint set up that I was like, "There's no way they can avoid this. They're going to have to go through this checkpoint. There's going to be a problem." And instead, you guys like go way the fuck out of the way and then come back around the other direction. I was not expecting that. Not much I could do. <laughs> Yeah, so just an FYI to, to people, we're, like, down in Dixie. Um, and if you have uh, Home of the Brave, you read about Dixie, you, oh, yeah. you want to try to avoid as much of the authorities as possible. Um, yeah, they're, they're currently in Alabama, which is turned into, like, this fascist police state, um, heavily reliant on <laughs> Chinese corporations. And what the <coughs> hell was that? Sorry. Coffin. 
Oh, it sounded like you were strangling a mouse. It was the intake. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, they were supposed to travel from Alabama into, uh, like, straight west through the main checkpoints uh, into Florida. Because, you know, most of Florida is this, you know, inundated mess of swamps. So instead, they head south through Alabama um, to, like, old smuggler roads into the swamplands, and they managed to avoid the major checkpoints. Um, yeah, which is good role-playing, and it's what happens, and that's great. Uh, my players have gotten... You guys have gotten really, really good at avoiding the... Uh, really dangerous situations you still you still fall into them but right into danger and i think as a a gm you start to notice the behavior of your players so you actually will start gearing your 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 game in the next scenarios to be a little more um consistent what to or i should say you're able to predict what your players are going to do next and you can Absolutely. start writing the scenarios that head towards what you think the players are going to do. Yeah, I mean, I try, uh, I try to have something that's going to interest, if not all three of you, uh, like I'll have something that'll interest one of you at a time. Um, some NPC that you meet in the market or on the side of the road. Uh, something that you can focus on that'll give each of you a little bit of screen time to shine uh scenarios that I I try and cater to your interests to to what you've shown interest in, in the past um and your characters personalities um that I think that's the the mark of any good GM is to try and engage the not only the players but the players characters themselves if they're just running a lot of GMs will just run a straight game and it doesn't matter who or what the uh, the players' characters are, or you know what their personal goals are, they're just running a campaign. Yep. Um, and it's it, it kind of I've played under them. It always feels like plug and play to me. Like my character's here, but if it was a different character, it wouldn't matter. I try not to do that. I try and and very much make the characters the focus of the game. Yeah. Um, the the plot and overall storyline is secondary to the players. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with doing it the other way. A lot of GMs do that. A lot of players enjoy it. Um, I know that most of the Dungeons and Dragons games I had played uh, in the past were kind of like that. Um, I've got a good group now who runs more in my style uh but yeah as i was coming up in the in the gaming community that's what a lot of dungeons and dragons and uh really any other game i played that i wasn't running they were they were mostly like that where it just didn't matter right so i I go the other way i try and make the players the focus of what's going on even if i've got this highly focused campaign uh it's the players that always are going to come to the forefront. Um, 
Yeah, I think for me, when it came to, to Dungeons & Dragons, and it took many years for me to actually understand what role-playing was, especially, you know, for, from running Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, yes, you take on that role of that character, but I think the way Dungeons & Dragons was always structured was in order to improve, you have to kill monsters or get gold or, you know. There was always some combat oriented way of improving the character versus <clears throat> something like um like yeah i mean experience was based on the you know the monsters you kill and the treasure you acquire so i always found and, that making characters in that was just yes i try to add a little dimension to them but that wasn't the more important thing was to get the character to get the levels to get the magic items to accumulate the things and where cyberpunk i think came along and really like kicked me in the teeth of just you want to do character development and yeah i mean that's that was the that was the glory of cyberpunk when i first discovered it like i had tried dungeons and dragons before um and it just it didn't appeal to me and then when i played cyberpunk it was like a light switch went off in my head and suddenly i was all like well you know, it's all character driven and, you know, you can be clever and that makes a difference. And there's drama and that's built into the rules. The drama is built into the rules, whereas all the other games I had played in the past um, didn't have that. It was just all the other games seemed really video game to me. Like, yeah. Rules did not allow for real drama. They didn't they didn't compensate for cleverness or any of that they were just roll dice do damage so how did you get and i'm sure you've encountered this i've encountered it plenty of times how do you get players who aren't into the character right or developing the character or just more or less hey i just want to throw dice i want to get loot you know and just kill the next monster how do you get them to get that different mindset you know it's a long slow process it starts off where you give them a little bit of combat you you sate that itch while putting them in a group with other people who you know are into the character development and as they see other people and how other people are are playing the game and realize you know that's the majority of what's going on Nine times out of ten, they'll want to fit into that. They'll want to. They'll see the enjoyment and the fulfillment other people are getting from actually, you know, focusing on character as opposed to just rolling dice. Uh, and they'll they'll want to experience that for themselves. Or you know, on the tenth chance, they won't, and they're just going to be they're just going to be want to be murder hobos, and that's it. And if that's the case. You're left with two choices. You can... I mean, obviously, at any point, you should try communicating with them and saying, hey, give this a try. You might like it. Uh, if no matter what else works, they just want to be murder hobos, you're left with a choice of like throwing combat in at least every session to keep them interested. Um, or, or, you know, suggesting they may enjoy a game somewhere else. Uh my philosophy about that is 
no gaming is better than bad gaming. And if you're not enjoying a game, don't don't waste your time with it. Um, you because if you're wa- if you're not enjoying the game. You're not only wasting your time, you're wasting everybody else's time because, you know, if you show up and you're just frowning and just just there to kill things while everybody else is is there for character development or the other way around. If everybody else is there to just kill things and move on, if they're all murder hobos and you're the guy with a 15-page backstory uh, who wants to, you know, jibber-jabber at every NPC you meet, you're not going to enjoy that campaign that they're in. Um... So either give it a try or, you know, maybe move on if that's not the campaign for you. Yep. Run the game and then you can be them. You can run the murder hobos yourself. Uh, you can mix it, though. You can like combat is not something to be afraid of when running a game, especially cyberpunk. Just understand that it's always going to have consequences. You're, any damage you take is going to lead the lasting you're going to be out of action for a while. Um, Joe's character, uh, Citizen X on uh, The View from the Edge, and Malak are two of our other players right now. Uh, the Citizen X, he, I want to say his character is the one who got bit on the hand by a rattlesnake, and it like seriously hampered his abilities for like two sessions. Yep. Um, and that's the thing. It's a dangerous, dangerous world. And as you move through it, there are going to be things that, you know, are going to have a lasting effect. They may not be permanent, but you're not going to heal instantly. You're certainly not going to be able to call trauma team and have them arrive in 30 seconds. That's, not going to happen here. Yeah. Not in any game I run. <clears throat> um, so when it comes to scenarios, uh, individual episodes and whatnot, I, I do like to have interesting NPCs. I do like to have events that are going to happen. And, you know, some events you can avoid, but others are just going to be waiting for you wherever you go because that's the nature of being a GM. Magic. Uh, and I think I'm a little bit opposite in in the 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 creativity or how you handle the games, right? So for me, the the quick scenario is where I put in a little more detail and, and flesh out more than the overall campaign because I know with an overall campaign um, can always be very. Uh, very whimsical upon the players right on what their actions are oh yeah <clears throat> so like when i was doing my presentation as you saw i was <laughs> very in-depth when it comes to doing one shots because i know i want to make sure that i have it all plotted out for that one shot because i know it's a one shot so i want to make sure that i'm not stumbling or looking up things or or trying to come up yeah. with ideas on the fly, whereas a campaign, you kind of have that from that group because what happens is, okay, you encounter something, the party will start chatting a little about off-topic stuff or in-character stuff, which is always great. 
And during that time, as a GM, you have the ability to A, listen in on what they're saying, to get ideas from, from their chatter. And also to also think about, hey, this next thing I wanted to do, I didn't really have fleshed out, so I can start concentrating a little more on how I can handle it now that I know where the players are, what they're doing, um, and what's their expectation of what's going to happen next. Absolutely. Uh, and you raise an interesting point for smaller. I mean, really, the, the amount of work that I've put into the overall campaign on this with the source books or the, or the player guidebooks at the start and all that, uh, that only works because of the uh, the tight structure of the overall story, the overall uh, concept of the game. And in, in any other game that I've run, that wouldn't work. Like, say I'm running private detectives or, you know, just a group of edge runners who are, you know, freelance mercenaries. Like, that level of, of detail beforehand would never work. Because uh, the players are going to have access to whatever they want, for the most part. Um, they're going to have homes or at least bolt holes somewhere. Uh, and in those situations, the scenario... Uh, the individual missions, as you said, they become more important. They become a little bit more of the focus. Uh, when I was running the private detective campaign uh, that I did a few years ago, um, I was uh, I cheated a lot. I, I stole. I've, I've talked about this before. I stole. Uh, I stole the plots from. Uh, noir stories and old detective novels and movies and things like that. I like the Maltese Falcon and, uh, uh, things of that nature. Um, a lot of Dashiell Hammett works, uh, that, that worked for me, that, that worked in that scenario when I was running a mercenary campaign. Um, that was almost pure freelance, you know, out of my head, but it was still, you know, they've got this job, they're paid to go do this job. It becomes much more scenario based. Uh, so you try and create this interesting thing where the stuff is going to happen. Like you've got to infiltrate this base over here. That's, that's almost a much easier way to run the game because it's, it's, it's very much, you know, here's the goal for today, go accomplish it, then, then come back. Um, I think when you do, I'm not going to say steal, but are influenced by uh, other storylines and, and actors or characters and novels, right? I think the players who know the reference oftentimes will appreciate that reference in it because it gives them some type of familiarity uh, to who that character is, right? Yeah, and if they notice it, if they realize what's happening, uh, they'll fall into that mood. They'll they'll get into the idea of it, and once they realize what genre the thing is taking place in, um, it, it, they kind of go wholeheartedly for it, uh, like the private detective game. Once they realize that they were basically playing Humphrey Bogart, uh. It influenced everything else. Like 
suddenly they were like I had one character who would narrate what was happening to him. Like the dame walked into the room, she <laughs> smelled of sunflowers and peaches. Uh, the cigarette hung loose in her lip like a wild comma. <laughs> I mean, that's just it was awesome. Yeah, that is. Uh, cool. And yeah, it's it's good role playing moments. So you know you can play off that and. and it's the evolution of games like that where you fle- you even in a even in a, a goal based game a scenario based game where you know every week you got to go do this thing and accomplish this it still then allows you to flesh out the characters that's why I really don't like running more than than four people because if you run more than four people you lose that aspect you lose that ability to you know focus. Right. on the characters as opposed to the to the objective um, and that's just the kind of gaming that I enjoy I enjoy character focused games uh, which is why I don't do I've never done ca- uh, convention gaming it's just never been anything that interested me uh, or one shots or anything like that with the odd exception um, because I, I like character driven games uh, I see the appeal of objective campaigns. Um, it's just not my bag. So what would you say, like, from a general percentage-wise of coming up with ideas, do you feel like you're 50-50, you pull stuff from various medias or versus original ideas, or is it a little higher, lower in the other direction? I mean, there are degrees of originality. Nobody has... It's pretty rare for somebody to have a completely original idea. Um, so there are... Deg- you, you get influenced by stuff, and then you make it your own. Uh, and there'll be degrees of the originality to that. Um, when I was running the freelance Mercs, the actual campaign itself was completely it was as much of off the top of my head as it can get but i would get influenced by media for like locations or you know maybe a twist in the story or something like that uh so when i was running just freelance willy-nilly like that i'd say the originality was was at a higher percentage whereas with the more more recent campaigns where it has a more fo- focused storyline. Uh, the originality is going to be more of like a, you know, like a 60% originality and a 40% inspiration from something else. Because when you're, when you're trying to write down stuff, more of that influence leaks into whatever you're doing, if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, Like the the Glass Road campaign. Like, I was describing it, you immediately went to Damnation Alley, because, of course, that was a major influence. And even though I'm going off the events that happened in the Cyberpunk 2020 source book with the Middle East meltdown, and they're trying to explore what's happened since then, uh, like, for a campaign, I've never seen that done as a campaign before. But in the idea of stories like obviously uh like you said damnation alley arc two um really those are the two big ones um but yeah so speaking when of it comes to like 
glass Go ahead. So speaking of Glass Road, when is that uh, going to be hitting your site? Um, see, we only got about halfway through it in the campaign. Uh, there were other things I wanted to flesh out. I don't know that we'll ever go back to it. Uh, I, I would have enjoyed that. Um, but due to circumstances beyond control, like it kind of left off half, it kind of left off halfway through. So I, I'm going to revisit it. I'm going to, it will eventually hit the site. <laughs> God willing. Um, cause I've seen it coming soon for, a little bit of yeah it's been coming soon for like 12 years now so yeah. well you know I apologize for that you, you are influenced by our talsorian and altarsorian is <laughs> known for uh getting it right and and delivering it i mean when it when it's ready i i do feel super bad uh the health problems i've got prevent yeah. me from getting in a comfortable place to write um, i get it man I would very I like that source book is about is about a third of the way done. Um, the source book I'm 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 working on now for Dust and Sorrow. That's the actual source book itself is probably about halfway done. The the rest of it is really just the campaign that follows and what I can write down from from that. Uh, And then I've got I've got another section of uh, the Night City Guide, like a, a very small section, but it's it's something I detailed out quite a bit. That it's about sixty percent, seventy five percent done. Yeah, I really, what it needs. One of the areas that I've been kind of concentrating on and flushing that out and typing it up for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really, where I'm stuck with that is. Uh, creating the maps um i was using corel photo paint and i don't have access to that like i did at the time uh, but i want it to look i want it to look as uniform to the combat zone guide as i can get it um, download gimp man okay it's a free version of uh photoshop i don't know photoshop um <laughs> it's, it's I, I can't imagine it's too different from photo paint, but yeah, really not. So it's definitely uh, a utility, open source utility that is. Uh, you can. Do I mean, it's the one everybody uses. Yeah, and there's a lot of tutorials out there on how to how to work with it. So, um, so if you're looking for <laughs> for a graphics program, that is the cheapest and uh, most robust way of getting it done. If you're looking for um, something that's I think John was promoting that to me yeah. last time we talked. And then the free version for a vector program I think is uh Ink Inkscape. Yeah, you're, I, you're I, I don't know that. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you I links. will look into that. And get you that. Um but yeah, those are two utilities that you can definitely use. Uh for your games and again to all players if you, if you guys are looking to get beyond ms paint or or some other um simplistic uh utility for for doing art there there's a couple out there um 
GIMP is more for photos, so it's can like if you've ever heard of Photoshop, right? Rendering, uh, doing filters, and, and just manipulating photos. GIMP is the, the utility. If you're looking for what are called vector, so a vector is more. I, I, I how do I describe it? It's more of a point system versus just pixel. So with a vector you have the ability to put in a point and zoom in as close as you want and you should not get any blurriness versus like a pixeled uh, image so you can zoom in you know, like to one point and it'll continue to have the same uh, resolution as it was if you zoomed out so it's a little more difficult to work with vector uh, programs than it is with like uh, GIMP and Pixels. But mm. two graphic utilities I, I, that you guys can uh, check out. Yeah, those sound cool. Uh, I feel like I did a lot of ranting and kind of moved off the point, but I'm not really sure how I to. Think you weren't necessarily ranting. You were you were talking about your your creative process, which. I believe is the, the topic of the night, right? Sure. <coughs> um, if anybody's got any questions, uh, yeah, I, I'm. I, I would be more than happy to answer them. Um, I don't know how many people are still in our audience at the moment. If anybody is still yeah. listening, there's there's five people. Looks like well. Hopefully we'll get more on when it gets to YouTube. But yeah, so for, for, for my campaign currently, like I said, I was in a lull. Um, but then, and again, I, I might be considered a, a sadistic GM for doing so. But I really wanted to like do a gut punch to, to the party. Um, because I still had this idea because they're currently hunting uh, or, or going down a trail that the trail that they were following kind of ended um, however they, they there's some past sins that they did that I was like yeah it's about time that they have some some uh, <laughs> some repercussions for for some of the actions they did so how I, how I approached that was basically I looked at uh, one of the players' backgrounds, saw they had a, a current lover, and uh, let's just say that lover meant a very grisly end, and that player was oh, in, no. in the process of being framed for her murder. So Not heads in the refrigerator. <laughs> uh, close. Heads on the kitchen counter. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's still a viable trope, and sometimes it's, it yeah. Is. And it's, you know, and again, you, sorry for the noise, my mic fell off its stand, um, if you're seeing, hearing feedback from me. But <clears throat> for me, it's, A, you know, there are repercussions for, for the actions that the party committed. Um, yeah, I think... If they can't catch you, they will go after your loved ones. And, and there's very... They had loose ends. So this loose end is now making appearance. And that's kind of where 
I really didn't know where I wanted to go with my campaign, and you know, luckily there was a lull. One of the, one of my players actually ran a one shot. Um, she ran a game called uh, Monster of the Week, which was kind of fun. It's it's very simplistic rule set, <coughs> um, and very quick to to create a character and really hit the ground running. So, um, but yeah, during that game, it's just you know driving home from work thinking about you know what I need to, to get this this game back into action and that's where I came to like okay you know what I need to go into the, the character's life path and pull something out and, and come up with some stories uh, and that kind of prompted me to look at another character and not necessarily go after that character's uh, loved ones but hey there's an enemy that this character has well He's tied to certain corporations, and he was a childhood friend that kind of turned into an enemy. Well, he's still a childhood friend, so... Life path is yeah. the GM's and, and, best tool in Cyberpunk. I mean, and if you're know, at a loss for ideas, just look at your player's character yeah. sheet. And don't look at enemies as enemy in the character's background as, okay, they're always going to either attack the players, this particular enemy, you know, the, the, the reaction was avoid the scum. Well, okay, so this character is, or this enemy is now in trouble, and he knew that the player was kind of an upstanding kind of guy, so he's trying to, you know, uh, I'm on the run, I'm being hunted, and who, who am I going to turn to but an enemy of mine who I knew in, in high school and knew he was an upsetting guy, maybe he'll help me, right? So you can always use enemies even to, to interact with the players, not necessarily just to attack them, but to actually get them into yeah, no, absolutely. a new storyline. Um, I mean, even the smallest events that happen in a player's life path like if you if you work them right, if if they through the natural evolution of the game, they can become the focus of the whole of the whole campaign. Um, it's like I like I just said, the life path is such an amazing tool for both players and GMs in fleshing out, you know, the character in in providing motivation. In giving GMs, you know, story hooks to throw off of. Yeah, use that as much as possible. Hell, use Life Path to just generate NPCs. Um, it'll give you their own... Like, it doesn't have to be the full Life Path, but just make a couple of rolls for them. See what, you know, maybe led them to be the, 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 the characters that they are. Yeah, and, and I think we've talked about this in the past. Um, oh man! And, and we'll yeah, and we'll keep on reiterating what a great tool it is. Um, but yeah, those are some things that I, I think, from from a creative point of view, is if you're stuck, look at Life Path. Um, look at look at the characters, and of course, you might be staring at it for an hour or two, looking at the various character backgrounds. Um, one great thing I like. In, during the COVID time was you had things like uh, the VTTs 
So players would enter their characters and you could actually see those characters and uh, all their uh, information. Um, versus sometimes I know, like, especially playing at the table, the characters would take their, their sheets with them, or the players would take their sheets with them, so you don't always have that there's a there's a dirty secret of mine um from the moment i began running cyberpunk uh or which was when i began running games period um i had the rule that you know the character sheets have to stay with me uh for many reasons one because after like the first month and like three character or three players continuously forgetting their character (laughs) sheets losing them i was like well that's just not gonna work leave your character sheets here i had another guy who would you know he'd take his character sheet home and suddenly on the next next game he had all this gear uh that he didn't have or he edited his character skills and whatnot like no more of that well i played in a Um, different game this other gm gave me you know full, full conversion yeah, you're playing with a different GM for Cyberpunk. Please introduce me to him. Oh, uh, he, he doesn't. Yeah, he's not around from around from here. So, <laughs> I mean, and you know, lastly, I would actually when I, the first I've said this before, uh, and you can find all these images on my site. Like I, I, I used to hand draw the characters in the little freaking boxes of each character sheet. And for the you players, know, it's like the size of a post-it note. Yeah. Wow. Um, Kudos to you. Yeah. No, there, there. Some of them are pretty bad. Well. Uh. But again, I was drawing. I was drawing him in the uh, thing the size of a post-it note. Um. I still try and draw. I would still would like to draw the characters. But now it generally takes up a. I, I do it full page size, yeah, uh, and then you know scan it in. I mean, color it there. Some of your drawings are pretty good um, for the oh, style well, that you. you draw, and and those who want to go see uh, Wisdom's wonderful art can go into the <laughs> reference data on this site, and uh, there's an image gallery there. There, there is, there is an image gallery. Or if you just go to the file project, there's, you can get to it from there too. Um, but yeah, and I would, I would study their character sheets. I, I would. I'm not kidding when I say that I get as invested into my players' characters as they do. Uh, and I try, like for me, the game is all about character development, and I'm. I'm telling a story about these characters. I, I I don't go to a movie. Like I know they've done some experimental television shows where the cast changes every episode. There's a reason they don't last because people want to get invested in characters. Yeah. They want to get invested in storylines, not have that change every time they turn around. So I know at least the game that we're run, you're running for us for me. Um, you're very hands off on on what players have do, but have you ever had to in a campaign kind of what they call is railroading uh, players into certain situations? 
You know, it's it's never really been an issue with me. Um, as as a GM, I don't I don't think I've ever had to railroad beyond just like this is your like I said in objective based games that I've run like this is your target. This is the whole purpose of the game. So if you don't go do this, well, you can just gonna sit around doing nothing for the next couple of hours. Uh, but this is what you're getting paid to do. So. And I would usually have, if they decided they didn't want to do it for whatever reason, and that happened a couple of times, I'd have, like, backup plans and uh, other scenarios that, you know, would take place. Um, but as far as, like, you know, you've got to do it this way and you've got to go down this road, no. I, I try never to railroad care, uh, players. It just, it always feels false to me whenever it's happened to me. Like, I can tell I'm being forced along this path. There's no other options. Uh, it always kind of takes me out of the game when that happens. Um, just like I don't do Mary Sue NPCs. Like, I will have... I'll have NPCs, and they'll be part of the game. But they're never going to outshine the characters at anything. They're there to fill the spaces uh, that the characters don't. Um... Like, right now, there's not a net runner in the group. So, you know, you've got that... Right now, you've kind of got that lady uh, scientist who's... She's not a net runner, but she can at least... Fake it, yeah. <laughs> as it were. Like, she's got a little bit of skill. Um, yeah, I think There are medics in the, in, the, in the larger convoy that, you know, can deal with injuries and whatnot. Uh... Yeah, for for me, when it comes to NBCs, I try not to outshine the players with that particular NBC unless I'm using that NBC to show my players how it's done, right? Um, either bringing in an expert solo and and how that expert solo would handle a particular situation, right? Versus how the players either. They do, you know, the, the the brute force methodology versus the subtle methodology of getting something done and showing, hey, this is what an expert solo does. He does it subtly. He, he checks all the corners. Well, yeah. he, he makes sure that, you know, he's not getting uh, caught uh, flat-footed by any of the other you got be You've got to be real careful when doing that. Yes. I mean, it can it, it it happens like the convoy you're in. There's three solos who ride ride outrider for the for the uh, security of the greater convoy, as it were. And you know, one of them's a scout. He rides way ahead, uh, but they don't ever outshine the characters in anything that the characters are supposed to be specialists at. Um, and if you guys do meet somebody who is a who is a specialist in that same field, and he does have something to impart, it's never going. To... There's nothing that bugs me more than when a GM introduces a super powerful character who just comes in and just wipes the floor with the party, just. Like, he's on the same side, but he's just so overpowering. The GM just gives him godlike abilities as part of the as part of the writer's fiat. Uh, 
and it just playing D and D was always it. It was always the mark of a really. I'm not gonna say a bad GM, but certainly it, it put me off, uh, off the situation completely. You know, when a GM would have like Elminster show up and just like if anybody talked shit to him, he'd just slap him down like a bitch. And yet at the same time, he's hiring us to go do this job. Like, what the hell is that about? You're fucking Elminster. You can snap your fingers and accomplish this task. What do you need us for? And if you do need us, why are you treating us like garbage? Right. Um, but I mean, for, for the if you do, example NPCs I do, it's never going to be this NPC is going to be with the party forever. It's usually right. one session in one certain situation to kind of give the party inspiration of, oh, okay. So the, so as a GM, this is how you do or do a combat scenario or an ambush. Um, oh, absolutely. And there's no problem with having a legendary, you know, whatever appear. Um, it just has to be used, you know, subtly. Uh, like, if the characters are getting their ass kicked, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having the cavalry show up. Um, if, you know, you've got a solo who just rushes into everything head first. There's nothing wrong with having somebody who's, you know, fairly, you know, well-known and respected in the field to come in and show them a different way. There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's just part of storytelling. Like, uh, Obi-Wan didn't outshine Luke. He just was there to be a, you know, show him how it was done. Yep. Uh, and that's, you know, that's just part of storytelling. There's nothing wrong with that. It's my only problem comes in, like I said, when the when the GM just comes along or just brings that character in or their own pet creation to come in and just kind of bully the players. Just kind of show off his own, how badass his creation is or how badass Elminster is by having him slap around the players a little bit. Even if the players are being obnoxious, it just always comes off as, oh... I was about to say, sometimes the players deserve to get a little uh, smacked down. Uh, at know, times. I'm saying they don't. If, if, you know, your character starts talking shit to, you know, the the ninja master, don't be surprised if you get a shuriken in the asshole. Um, if you're talking shit to, you know, the master hacker, who, you know, if you're talking shit to Raish Bartmos or whatever, or if you're just doing some troublemaking shit, and suddenly, you know, sex videos of you with an ostrich are popping up everywhere. You've got yourself to blame. Yep. Um, just don't ever be like ridiculous about it. Don't be, don't be a bully. Basically, as a GM, you're not there to. You know how I feel about antagonistic GMs, and that's part of it. Um, and don't put players in situations that well that's a whole nother topic i'm not going to get into that right now uh but yeah um legendary npcs there's you can use them use them sparingly use them subtly uh and don't bully players just for the sake of bullying players that's that's never that's never going to end well i've seen players walk from campaigns because of it hell i've done it um 
Yeah. Right. So we're I close. I forget what got us in. Just talking about NPCs um, and, and how you use them. I mean, I love NPCs. I try. I try very hard to make the NPCs my players interact with uh, whenever possible. I try and make them memorable. I try and flesh them out a little bit. Uh, it doesn't always work. Some days I'm having an off day. Um, some days I just don't know what that character's voice is. Uh, but if the players take an interest in an NPC at any point, holy shit, you've got them hooked. And that's, that's the ultimate goal for me is to get my players invested in the characters and the campaign enough that they kind of help me flesh it out themselves. Great. Um, the more collaborative <laughs> the story when you're GMing, the, the better it gets. So, any last words of wisdom, wisdom? I think I just gave them. All right. Um, the, the ultimate goal for running a collaborative story-based game is collaboration. Um, as, a, as a GM, you want your players to be invested in everything as you are. Uh, as a player, you want your GM to be in, as invested in the game as you do. If it's just, you know... If that's the kind of gaming you're into, if you're just into, you know, rolling dice and doing damage and moving from one scenario to the next, that's that's cool. That's your bag. I don't have any advice for that because that's not the way I run or play. So you want to ask somebody else about that. But if you got if you want to run a story based campaign, the more collaboration you can get uh, or not collaboration, but at least investment the more investment your players can get into their own characters into the game into into what's happening in the game the npcs the the events uh the overall plot or even just side plots the more of that you get the better the game will be always um so pay attention to what your players are doing pay attention to you know what they tell you talk frequently about you know what they want to see in the campaign um, or at least give them the opportunity to you know express that and listen um, at the end of the day it's it's a game of uh, all RPGs are about communication so yeah Agreed. all right I think we can end that here um, before we take off, just a FYI. So our next episode, we're going to do a deep dive into uh, the source book, P Protect and Serve, uh, the cop surfs book. I think uh, there's a bunch of goodness there that we can uh, definitely talk about. Um, <clears throat> we're also uh, doing some work trying to get some other guests to join us again uh, to do some possible interviews. Um, that's still in the works hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get some people a little more in the upcoming episodes uh, other than that uh, I am Cyber Smiley you can find me on cybersmileydatafort.com uh, or .net uh, it's a site that has a bunch of utilities for both Cyberpunk Red and Cyberpunk 2020 uh, I also have a Cyberpunk or Cyber Smiley uh, Datafort uh, Discord, so you can actually report any bugs or enhancement ideas, and also keep up to date with uh, my release schedules around my site. Um, I'll be posting there. 
and you can also find me on Reddit uh, on under CyberSmiley or my CyberSmiley data fort read it Reddit, and I'm also on all the Cyberpunk discords or or the majority that I know of. There could possibly be more out there, but I, I try to make try to be on all of them. Um, so if you hit, hit at CyberSmiley, there's a good chance you're going to hit me, and uh, I am always I have open ears for anybody who wants to uh, chat with me. Amen to that. I am Wisdom, Wisdom000. Uh, my site is Data Fortress 2020. Um, it is chock full of source books and gear books and rules that I've written, as well as I have a archive of most of everything that's ever been put on the net for Cyberpunk 2020, Cyber Generation, uh, haven't started compiling red yet, but that'll go up there eventually. Um, I am on Facebook. Uh, you can find me by the name Derek Bernier. Um, I am on Discord as well, although I don't. I'm not very active on it. Well, you have a Data uh, Fortress 2020 Facebook group, don't you? Yes, there's a. I'm on the. I head the data fortress 2020 facebook group i'm a moderator for the cyberpunk 2020 fa facebook group i'm also on cybernation uncensored's facebook group uh yeah if you want to talk cyberpunk i am always there always happy to do so if you've got questions for cyber smiley or myself uh or things you want to see addressed in future episodes these are the ways to get a hold of us yep uh, my email is readily available on my site, so and Smiley's is available on his. Uh, also, check um, out Cyber Smiley or not Cyber Smiley, Cyber Nation Uncensored's Discord. Uh, we have a channel on that Discord, uh, which we will we post topics, and where we are all ears. If you want to give us some topics or, or have ideas on, on what you guys want to hear us talk about. Or, or our point of view on things, uh, we are more than willing to uh, listen to you and uh, give you feedback. Yep. We'd like to thank Cybernation Uncensored for hosting us. Uh, as always, thank you, Rob. Yep, thank you. Um, we appreciate it. So, and uh, we appreciate you, our listeners. Yep. All righty, we are out of here. Talk to you later. Night. Thank you.